Welcome to the Uncut Podcast. I'm Pastor Luke. And I'm Pastor Cameron. And this is the Uncut Podcast, where we have uncut and honest conversations about faith, life, ministry, and the Bible, and all of the above. Things we're frustrated or angry about. Things we're frustrated or angry about. So um, today, um, we're going to be talking about sort of the intersection of faith and mental health. So we're, uh, we're going to dig into this. So I feel like there is a, I mean, there's a lot to talk about here, yep. but maybe the place to kind of start um, is a place where Maybe maybe a lot of our listeners have experienced this, or maybe not. Um, but um, I've encountered a couple different people, more than a couple different people in in ministry, who struggle with mental health. Mm-hmm. I personally have my own mental health journey, which mm-hmm. I'm will probably I will probably be talking about a, a lot during this episode. Um. But people who are struggling with mental health are sharing and dealing with that in a context of a faith community. And almost inevitably, it seems like somebody will come up to them at some point and say something along the lines of, you know, have you prayed about your depression? And and have you thought about why your depression hasn't left or God hasn't answered your prayer to remove your depression? Or... um, you know, you still have depression because you lack faith. Right. And so this is something that comes up like annually, I would almost say, of encountering someone who's had this said to them in the past or is wrestling through their own kind of story of like, does this mean that I'm somehow broken or lacking in faith because I am depressed and I'm a Christian? Can these two things coexist right yeah yeah i I would you said we deal with it annually i would i would say that we i mean we probably deal with some sort some form or sentiment of that monthly yeah you know where um someone you know would come to us and or want or in the context of any conversations that we're having just have a significant sense of like why am I so broken? Why won't God deliver me from this? How do I have more faith to believe that I can be free? Mm-hmm. How can I name and claim my healing mm-hmm. in the name of Jesus? And it, um, I, there's a lot to there, there. There is a lot there to talk about. Yeah, one of the things. I I don't I can't say this for sure because in almost you know 20 years of pastoral ministry I've really only ever pastored two well three churches but two for long periods of time and um so I don't have a great perspective on a multiplicity of churches but what I will say is that it feels like when you begin to talk about something like the like mental health mm-hmm. within the context of the church, you get 
really one of two sort of like responses. One, you get one that's like, a, oh, that's just a spiritual issue and, you know, we need to pray that away. And yeah. if you're not, you know, experiencing victory, then you don't have enough faith or whatever. Um, the other uh, that I, that I, and so you, you would see, so it seems like in those churches, no one's got any mental health issues. Right. No one yeah. is depressed. No one is ever anxious. No one has ever like experiences, um, uh, you know, bipolar mood swings or anything like that. Right. The reality there being, we know is that those things do exist within the people in that church, but they are not talking about it. Right. They, or they're not naming it. Right. They have not, they don't find that they are safe enough within the community, faith community that they're a part of to yeah. talk about what actually they deal with on a day-to-day basis. And so they mm-hmm. they um, they live in the environment of Christian platitude all the time. Yeah. The other side of that coin is that you do have freedom to talk about it. It is a thing that's like uh, consistently, as consistently as is appropriate, you know, right. is consistently at the um, on the table of ministry so people feel a sense of safety and like there's not as much stigma around it mm-hmm. and so it becomes and so it almost feels like it comes out of the woodwork of everyone's life mm-hmm. and I feel like that's a little bit where we are here at conduit yeah is that um, we've been able to create a culture or an environment of safety mm-hmm. around the area of people's struggle with mental health and have given them an environment or a place where it is okay to talk about those things, yep. especially within the context of faith. Mm-hmm. I've, I've heard that described I encountered someone who who heard that described that as like um, some churches kind of tend to become kind of ERs. Mm. Um, they, for one reason or another, they kind of become a place where people, the church gains a reputation and a ministry of being able to kind of triage people with um, maybe past church hurt or um, hurt from other places or. Um, it's, it's a place where you can come and you can talk about those things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes churches kind of, and not every church is like that. And so sometimes it can feel a bit like, is everybody just coming here who kind of like feels a need for that kind of engagement in a spiritual community? Mm-hmm. So. I think that, that brings up an important question that I kind of want to just ask out into the open air. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't even know that it's one that we've necessarily talked about extensively ourselves before but like when it comes to when it comes to uh mental health issues or mental health concerns or however you want to put it what is or what should be the role of the church yeah that's a complicated question yeah well because i think that we we would we would probably both agree that there are uh, there are mental health struggles and issues, and like we're just going to use those words like 
I don't know, like, okay, because you're depressed, it doesn't mean you have issues or it's right. not, it doesn't, not, you're struggling. So just understand that when we use this language, we're using it just as a form of communication, not as a form of judgment about anything. Yeah. But um, I think we both agree, and we, we've maybe talked a little bit about this, that at least from a pastoral or a personal perspective, uh, that there are mental health issues that are more significant than others mm -hmm. or more pronounced than others or maybe yeah. present more urgently. Or situations. Or situations that right. present more urgently. Right. Uh, so that the one of the, the most important things, at least for us, I know, is that uh, a church kind of needs to understand its boundaries relative to its resources. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's, again, like, I feel like so many things we talk about, there's these spectrums, right? Like the church, there could be the church or the ministry or the pastor who just completely abdicates in some way of like, just, we have nothing to contribute here, um, either because it's just something we don't talk about or we kind of like, um, you know, we just don't, we just don't deal with that. It's just not a safe place to talk about that. And if you have, or maybe they're even just, they're like, yeah, it's a thing, but just go somewhere else. And I don't talk about these things at all. Mm -hmm. Or there's the other side, the other end of that spectrum is someone who um, sees it as like their like primary thing. And they're just like, it is becomes the pastor's job to fix or yeah. to like save or to rush in. And that's all they're doing. Well, and they tell their people, you don't need to go to a counselor. Right. You don't need any medication. Just come talk to me. Right. We'll pray through it. We'll get right. you through it. Yeah. And that can look that can look two different ways. That can look like the like hyper spiritual approach to it. it can also look like the person who um, thinks they're a psychologist and isn't. Yes. Right. Right. They read a few books in seminary or something yeah. like that. And and that's not to say that there are some churches who are well-equipped to do that. Yes. In fact, it's part of kind of our medium-range goal here yes. to have someone on staff that mm -hmm. is either a licensed mental health counselor or um, we would know, love that. a licensed social worker mm -hmm. or um, something similar to that so that we would have a greater breadth of resource mm -hmm. to help minister to that dynamic of a person's whole being. Yeah. Uh, so understanding, I think, your resources relative to boundaries and things mm -hmm. that you're going to you're going to tackle yeah. or not tackle. If someone has a is you know like maybe experiencing a mild case of depression, right? Or is anxious about something, mm -hmm. you know. It may, it may give, it may give some. Um, there's some maybe a little bit more freedom to work within, you know, your own personal yeah. boundaries and your own personal view of areas of expertise or certification or whatever yeah. than it is someone who's experiencing regular psychotic breaks. Yeah. Needs very, very significant um, resources and help that I'm not equipped to give. Nope. And yep. and don't want to try and step into that role. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, for us, like, I know that that kind of looks like we don't, 
as a general rule, we don't typically counsel people with through mental illness on a long-term basis or who are in a situation of crisis. Yeah. No. Yeah. Like maybe it looks like, you know, cause we're often the safest people mm-hmm. that other people have. Yeah. So we might receive that person in the midst of their crisis, but work as diligently as we can to triage and then refer yeah. out. Right. Even as much as like, let's get in my car and let's go right now yep. together. So, um, so yeah, understanding boundaries, what else is and isn't the church's role um, or could be or couldn't be? Could or couldn't be the role? Uh, well, we're not diagnosticians either. Like, right. So saying, oh yeah, you are obviously bipolar. Yeah. Like I, I think we, I think we sometimes, and this is again, maybe a tendency some churches have is, is, and and is part of the problem when we get to the place of like, you do not have enough faith, right? We're coming to a diagnostic conclusion over why someone is experiencing what they're experiencing. And we're like, oh, we got figured out. We got all the information we need and we know it is this. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can, that can lead people from, pursuing other avenues of help um, that maybe they could really benefit from. Yep. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, yeah, I think that the church can, the church can certainly be a place or certainly should be a place of empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, of, Safety. Mm-hmm. It should be a place where, I mean, I don't know, like, I think some people disagree with this, but I don't, I think the church should be a place where there is essentially no, like, nothing is off limits mm-hmm. in terms of what is talked about yep. in the human experience. Like, I, I don't, right. I don't really, I don't really get the s- sense that it's a, very productive or worthwhile or like, you know, bury your head in the sand type of technique to say, because I don't understand this or because I don't feel resourced to deal with it or because I'm confused about the integration of maybe let's say mental health and illness and my own personal faith. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to pretend it doesn't exist, but, but certainly to, or not to not talk about it, but certainly like should have the freedom to be able to talk about all those things because it does, you know, they afflict people. Right. And, you know, we're doing our best to love people in the moments and, and maybe not just the moments, but the seasons of their significant pain or, mm-hmm. you know, emotional dysregulation or whatever. I think also the church can do a, a better job at, uh, Maybe talking about teaching, preaching, but the nature of the self. Yes. Like the nature of the holistic self. Yeah. Because I think that's the, that is the answer. So if we were to pose the question, like, um, 
why is it that depression, like from the beginning of this podcast episode, you and I have been obviously operating with the, with the assumption and the conclusion that if you're experiencing depression or anxiety or a, a, any other mental health issue, that it usually is not only a matter of spiritual faith. Usually not only. Yes. Correct. Yes. And that's been the conclusion we've been operating under. And I think if someone were to ask us, well, like, well, why isn't my depression just a lack of faith? What you're starting to talk about, that picture of the holistic self, mm -hmm. is the answer to that question. So, so Cameron, why is my depression not only a matter of faith? Well, because we are not just, we are not just like, um, <laughs> I guess, how would you say it? God has created us as holistic beings mm -hmm. or people, meaning we're not, we don't just have a soul. We don't just have a body. We don't just have emotions or a mind or thoughts or whatever, as if those things are compartmentalized off from one another. He has created us as a very intricate, weaved together whole mm -hmm. person and to separate the soul from the body, from the mind, from the emotions, whatever categories you want to use is to, I think, have an improper or incorrect understanding of who we are as people. Right. Just, and I think this is, this is, this is pretty firmly established in scripture as well. Um, and so there, there is a, there is a sense when you ask that question, why isn't my depression cured by just a continued or a, a, you know, a growth in my faith, the belief that God can heal me is because, well, um, because your depression may not have been caused by a lack of faith. Maybe your depression has been caused by an actual very significant chemical imbalance in your brain mm -hmm. that doesn't allow the, your neurotransmitters to absorb the correct chemicals right. that they need to in order to process the world and the things around you like in the, in the most healthy manner it can be sometimes yeah usually whatever you want to use a chemical biological process that is that's happening within you mm -hmm. and i think that we should say I, I mean i don't know like i i want to say that okay does that mean we shouldn't pray that god heals my depression and i should just go take medicine instead Gosh, no. Yeah, that's not what we're saying. No. Nor are we saying that that God does not choose to heal yep. in that way. Yep. You know, God does choose to heal in that way. That's very clear through the mm -hmm. laying on of hands and prayer. And and because we are holistic, we can't ignore the spiritual right. dimension of our healing along with the physical dimension of our healing exactly, and the mental dimension of our healing. It's like, why would you, we don't do this with anything else. We only do it with mental health. If you, if I got diagnosed with cancer, 
you wouldn't be like, well, why do you have cancer if you're a Christian? Well, so, sadly to say, Cam, there are a minority of some churches that would say something. Oh like well, that. shame. On that. <laughs> churches do exist that say things like that. Yeah. Not by any means. I think a, a large majority. Sure. I think more churches struggle to integrate with mental health than they do physical health. That's a, it's a for me. It's a fascinating question. Like, what is it about those things that are so different? Well, you know, it's kind of like there's a undergirding philosophical thing going on like it's the continuation of the gnostic influence mm -hmm. in its own sort of way and if you're like luke what's gnostic um gnostic being gnosticism being an early church like heresy false teaching philosophy, and yeah. philosophy there's a whole bunch of things that different branches and pockets of mm -hmm. Gnosticism in early church, but the kind of core philosophical tenet of it was somehow a separation of the spiritual from the physical and the physical being less than, worse than, or bad in the spiritual being good or positive. A lot of times Gnosticism attributed that to the personhood of Christ. They would say, well, God... God maybe kind of like possessed Jesus and then like at a certain point during the cross, he left. God mm -hmm. left Jesus and just the man Jesus died and God did not die, right? Yeah. All matter is bad. All spirit is good. All spirit is good. Yeah. And so like that continues to be a bit of a thing that I think we we deal with. And it's kind of um, – there's a, there's a whole bunch of reasons why I think that is. I think we have a uh, myopic or small view of – redemption. We think, okay, my body is just garbage. It's going to die. I'm going to leave this shell and I'm going to go up to heaven and be a spirit. And so, and that's all our view of eternity is just us being mm -hmm. floating spirits. Um, we kind of, mm -hmm. we take certain aspects of Paul's teaching, right? Like uh, renewing of your mind mm -hmm. uh, comes to mind. Things that we kind of prioritize and say, well, mind over matter or mind over body or mind over spirit, mm -hmm. um, body over spirit and all that. So, and we ignore like the time when like Paul was like telling Timothy to like drink some wine because it might be good for him. Stomach, yeah. um, you know, Paul, Paul encourages people to pray for things. And then he also just encouraged somebody to just take some wine because it mm -hmm. just might actually help his stomach a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um so it's it's this kind of myopic view of it, and we just we kind of just tend to, I think, fixate on this like continued dichotomy and separation of like, well, the spirit, spirit's the good thing, the body's just the bad thing, and I'm going to leave that behind, and it doesn't matter. And my whole point of my life is to just ultimately transcend and leave this whole physical thing behind. Mm -hmm. I I wonder also too if. We talked a little bit about this in our class last night about um, the type of theology that has come out of Enlightenment rationalism mm -hmm. and how um, there's the sense of the things that the things that we do not understand from a rational or um, maybe scientifically fact-based type of ground of being like that we we tend to we tend to throw away as illegitimate so the supernatural for instance yeah. has come under 
you know, major assault in the last 400 years because, well, the supernatural is not natural. And so if it can't be reproduced in a lab, if it doesn't fit within the scope of the scientific formula, um, then, then it can't possibly be real. And I think that with mental health issues, there is this sense like, well, okay, why would we say that to someone who has depression? Like, well, you just had enough faith you wouldn't struggle with depression, but but we wouldn't say that to a cancer patient, mm-hmm. right? It's because, well, we can take a cancer cell and put it under a microscope right. and we can look at it and we can see it and we understand what happens to it. And, yeah. Yeah, I mean. We, there's no depression cells. Well, that we found. That we found, <laughs> right? You know, it, it is, it, it exists within a sphere of our being that is, not necessarily as empirically yeah. viewable or verifiable as right. with the exception of we see the changes that happen in people's demeanor and yeah. their mm-hmm. mental processes when we change the the mm-hmm. brain chemistry yeah. through maybe medication right we see a result yeah so. yeah i think that's because I think that that makes me at least step back out of our context a little bit. Because we've been talking like primarily from a Christian ministry standpoint, and even if we were to just take just the world in general, I know that there's been significant moves forward in taking more seriously mental health and it being like acknowledged as a thing. Mm-hmm. But there are still pockets of people who, outside of Christian philosophy and thought and theology, who are just like. Ah, that's just all hogwash, just like, you know, man up or grow up or get mm-hmm. over it, you know. Yeah. So even outside of our own context, this kind of dismissal or just like it's a lesser, it's less real or it's somehow just like a thing that you can just choose to get over um, is a is still a thought that is out there even outside of our our context. Our context just perhaps colors that with some more uh faith talk yeah so right um yeah and i think you know so we're saying that like god has created us as full beings we have mind we've got uh, emotions we've got a spirit we've got a physical body that experiences things and rather than us being you know um i think a lot of if you've ever encountered uh maybe someone teaching on uh, anthropology or the the nature of a human being from a Christian context. A lot of times they do this kind of um, tri-division, right? Mind, body, soul. Um, and what a lot of times happens when we teach about the self as being a mind, a body, and a soul is we end up thinking one of those is more important. Um and that because we kind of use a pie chart and you, the visualization's got these divisions between the, the, the three, even that visualization shows a separation between the mind, the body and the soul. When really those, those divisions, those walls really ought to be like dotted lines or permeable because the mind affects the soul, the soul affects the body. There is this, incredible unity we might be able to say there's like maybe three aspects if we want to continue to use those three distinctions to a person but they're permeable 
They're not like these, it's not like I can just pluck my mind out of me and then still have me. You're getting into like some Trinitarian stuff here. (laughs) (laughs) All jazzed up about this. (laughs) Well, because it's like, it's, you know, this is the stuff that I get excited about. But we, we're, you know, somebody, you know, if someone comes to me and they're like, you know, I don't know, this is like a, they're just like, you know, it's winter. I'm just having a really, like, I'm feeling really down. Like, Pastor Luke, what should I do about it? Like, you know, this is very generic and very, like, just broad-boned or broad-spectrum. But I would say, okay, well, um, maybe take some vitamin D, get outside during the day, during the brightest time of the day for maybe 30 minutes. Um, Make sure you're spending time with people. Pray about it. Spend some time with the Lord. Um and then if this is continuing on for a couple of weeks, maybe go talk to a counselor for a couple of sessions, right? Like address all of the aspects to it. It's not a like one thing, right? Because all of those things. Well, and like, like one of the things that you said is most people can understand the connectivity of the various parts of your being, even mm-hmm. if you don't talk about it in that way. For instance, you almost always feel better mentally mm-hmm. when you exercise physically. Yes. Right. So why would that be if those things are not permeable and completely separate? Or I don't know about anyone else, but like when I haven't had anything to eat. Oh, I get I get nasty. I get <laughs> I my, get angry. Yeah, I get so do I. And Sherry Sherry has come to my wife has come to know that oh your attitude sucks right now. Did you eat today? <laughs> uh, and like oh yeah, I guess I am hungry. So like here have this Snickers bar, <laughs> you know that the old Snickers yeah. commercials. So there yeah. is we we all I think tend we we have intrinsically this understanding that there's a. a significant connectivity between the various parts of who we are and that goes you know that is it's the same with our mental health as well yeah right it goes across it goes across the the board and so i think yeah i guess just to loudly to say loudly and clearly like you know if you're dealing with mental health issues like there is no shame in pursuing um, counseling professional help um, medical help um, prayer prayer exercise exercise community right right take a holistic approach to take it. a holistic approach to right. treating to treating what is a holistic problem yep. in your life I think there's also, you know that's i wouldn't necessarily that's that's a that's a fairly practical yeah like, response to it pastorally speaking how can we speak to the people that are like dealing still dealing with this yeah um maybe in the context of them having been told in the past that 
you know, you obviously don't have enough faith or there's a real mm-hmm. issue with your walk with Jesus then or, um, you know, what, what, is the, what is the response of those who, who love with the heart of Christ to people who have been told stuff like that? You know, my, my first thing is just to kind of say, like, my first response is just, I'm sorry that that's mm-hmm. happened. Because mm-hmm. a lot of time that ends up in a place of blame, mm-hmm. right? Blame and shame. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, I have done something wrong. Yep. I am causing my own suffering. Right. And it's a marker of a character defect in me. Mm-hmm. Right. And it all, that, if you want to talk about something that will make your depression or anxiety or mental condition worse, those are some big things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would just point to like the testimony of scripture and, and say that like, if you read your Psalms, right, you will find a broad spectrum of human experience. A lot, large amount of it will be very sad, a lot of suffering. Um, and, you know, I, I, I always think of um, Elijah mm. after his fight, kind of fight, but showdown with the prophets of Baal and then uh, runs and is kind of in hiding from Jezebel still. Mm-hmm. And he has this like, this very hard, kind of just like, it's probably the best. Uh, I don't like, I don't want to over clinicalize the Bible and say like Elijah definitely was depressed at that point. But like, if you want to talk about a picture that's as close to depression as we probably get in a story, like that's probably one of them. Mm-hmm. And God's response to Elijah was very gentle mm-hmm. and was bringing him along and include included physical nourishment mm-hmm. as well as a spiritual experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so just from a pastoral standpoint, if you want the quick biblical hermeneutic of like, you know, why Why do you say, say that? What's the biblical proof? That would be my quick, like, this is what the Bible seems to also, and, and like the Bible was not written with when a concept of mental health was like a concept. So to read the Bible and say like the Bible is like conscious of mental health is an overstatement mm-hmm. because it, I don't think it necessarily is, mm-hmm. but we can see threads that point to human experience. Yeah. So I think there's a, um, uh, parallel, parallel truth or however you want to call it that, uh, that is not necessarily associated with just mental health, but with suffering in general. Yeah. Uh, and that would be, well, like the typical maybe thought is that if you're suffering yeah, or if life is hard uh, or if you're going through significant experiences, significantly difficult experiences, it's because you're doing something wrong. Right. And your suffering is a consequence of your wrongness. Yes. Either wrong belief or wrong action mm-hmm. or wrong something. Yep. 
Um, and do we believe that about the Bible? Do we believe that suffering always is a is a indication that I am in the wrong? No. No, we don't. You're like setting, like, this is just like a big passion topic for me. <laughs> You're like, I'm trying to throw like, you like an underhand. Right, no, like, <laughs> can I, can I, I want to say this for everybody, for, I'm going to say this for the people in the back of the room, right? The Bible does not teach that because something bad happens to you, it automatically means that you are somehow responsible or have done something wrong or lack faith. Yes. Right. The Bible does talk about testing, trials, um, and those are not reasons for suffering. They are outcomes of suffering. Right. When we talk about Peter, First Peter in the first part of that book talks about like you rejoice in your salvation in knowing Christ, even though for a little while you suffer and endure trials which are producing your a genuineness of faith and an outcome and salvation of your souls, which is more precious than that of gold, which is refined by fire. That whole thing is not a saying you're suffering because of or you're experiencing trials because of these things. Mm-hmm. It's saying this is an outcome of it or a benefit of it or how God uses to magnify or show his glory through bad things happening to you. Mm-hmm. It's not the reason. Right. right. The reason might be your own negative choices, might be someone else's sinful choices, might be just the sinfulness and brokenness of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times people wrestle with all of this and try and find reasons or even like really complicated like we could get really big and we could blow up the question to like why is there evil in the world period and that's an apologetic question a lot of people spend a lot of time on and most of the answers to the that question are partly true but i just want to simply say that if you were to read the book of job which is entirely about suffering from its 43 chapters of dealing with a philosophical and practical like life of a man who is enduring extreme suffering. Um, I always hesitate when anyone quotes from Job because depending on what chapter you're quoting, you might be quoting someone or something who's saying something that the author is trying to hold up as an argument that's wrong or false. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, because a lot of it is Job is the simple story of Job. Job's a righteous, good man, follows the Lord. He loses everything. Everything. A couple times. A couple times. <laughs> like all in one day. Yeah. Aw- awful suffering befalls him. Some friends, friends show up, hang out with him for a couple days. And then they be- begin to say, Job, do you think all these things happened to you because you did something wrong? Mm-hmm. Job, do you think uh, maybe one of your children did something wrong? Uh, Job, maybe you haven't been worshiping the Lord, or maybe you were becoming prideful in all of the things that you owned. And Job's like, no, like these things are not true. This, like this, if that's why God is doing this to me, uh, that's not why. And then eventually, after forty some chapters, Job loses it and becomes angry at God, and he turns to God and he says, "God, you need to come down and give me a reason as to why I'm experiencing suffering. Come here, I'm going to put you on trial." And I'm going to demand that you explain why you've allowed suffering in my life. God shows up, but doesn't 
not to be on trial for himself, right? He, he displays himself in full fl- fury and glory, and he essentially responds to Job, and he's like, I am God, you are not, you do not, cannot have an answer to this. Right. You do not get the answer to why you experience this suffering. And then Job accepts that, accepts that he is not God, and he humbles himself. And that's the point of the book of Job, is that we don't get the answer to why we experiencing experience suffering. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think God gives us a glimpse of that and gives us a glimpse of what he uses to bring about in our lives because of suffering. Yeah, produces character, right. and hope, right. and perseverance. Yeah, you might get bits and pieces to the why of right. your suffering, right? Like, well, I'm suffering because somebody did something stupid and hurt me. Yep. That's an easy why. Pick that up and take it and then move on. Too many people will spend years yelling into the clouds, demanding God to give them the full explanation of why. And you may get that later, but probably not the full picture until the other side of eternity. Mm-hmm. And, and so just from a very biblical perspective, Bible is, or the Bible is clear and Christian history is clear that suffering is part of the Christian life and that to suffer is an opportunity to follow after Christ in a deeper way, in a more significant way. It's not an indication that we are somehow lacking. and Or Jesus himself probably would not have suffered in the way that he did. Right. Right. Yeah, you know exactly. Well, and this is this is like to finish my my little bit of tirade here. Um, if you're experiencing suffering, God's God's glory and God's redemption is upside down from the way that we often would think about it. Right? Like if we wish we could write the story of our lives, we wish we could write it very clean and very straightforward. Like uh, we like we love the the line graph to just go up, right? Um, we'd love for us to continually get better, uh, achieve our goals, go from one step to the other, not be sidetracked, not have detours, not totally like miss things that we expected for our life or we wanted or you know um, that's the life we would love to draw for ourselves, and that's not the life that we live. Anybody lives. No one lives a life in a straight line without suffering and without detours and exactly the way they wanted it to. That just doesn't happen. God used the most horrendous thing in history, the death of his son, the death of God on a cross, to bring about redemption and glory for the world. What might God use your suffering in your life to bring about? Right? Yeah. It's a, it's not the reason. It's not the reason. But if you're in a place and you are, you're you're struggling and you're like, why? And you're like, what's, where does this go? Right? I might say, God, God wants to do something mm-hmm. there. Um, I've I've, when I counsel people. Um, 
I'm still relatively young, younger as a pastor goes. I don't know. Maybe I'm not anymore. Um, but I talk with people, a lot of times people older than myself. And um, something I've been told multiple times is they're like, Luke, how, like, you get it. How do you know all of this stuff? How do you, how is it that you're able to speak into like my experience of suffering and sadness and depression in such a way? And my answer is simply is like, well, I've been there. You walked it. Yeah. Like I I've experienced clinical depression for multiples of years and I've had a long journey of dealing with that and processing through that both like physically, mentally, and spiritually, and communally, like in all of those aspects. And so it's not the reason why I experienced depression, but it's something that God has allowed me to use in my ministry in a way that I think is, I hope brings glory to him. Yeah. Yeah. I think if there's any, you know, last word to people who are suffering under this from, you know, let me apologize on behalf of any other church or pastor who said, you just don't have enough faith or, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, whatever the case may be. Um, And to say that God is close to you. God is not far off. Right. Um, God is not, uh, God does not delight in your pain. Nope. Um, God is not, um, God is not uh, using it as some kind of harmful lever to, um, you know, to to make you suffer. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and that there are people who love you enough to walk with you and receive you and accept you and um, pray with you and comfort you and help to resource you for you know, for victory or at least, at least good passage yeah. through those things. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, yeah. You have any last words on the topic of mental health and faith? I mean, like we, I don't even we, say, I don't even think we can say that we scratched the surface no, on it. We didn't. I think the last thing, one, one thing I would just simply say is like, I, I'll give this like example, which was a, an illustration that, came that was helpful for me at a certain point in my in my journey is like let's say for a moment that someone has a headache right again we seem to have a lot of clarity over how to deal with physical illnesses but struggle with the mental let's say someone's got a headache what would you do well okay i would take some tylenol mm-hmm. i would uh, maybe put down my screen um, stay away from the phone, maybe go uh, somewhere quiet and dark, and I'd yep. take a nap, right? Mm-hmm. You wouldn't just do one of those things, mm-hmm. right? Because you like, or you, the, the point, the goal is to work through it, right? And, and, and deal with the headache. But for some reason, sometimes when it comes to mental health, we... I don't know, out of like a sense of pride or a sense of conviction or something, we want to maybe just do the one thing um, to kind of, I don't know, for some reason we are scared to take it 
take advantage of all avenues. Mm -hmm. And we wouldn't do that with a headache. We wouldn't, I wouldn't take away the screen and just say, okay, let's see if the screen, getting rid of the screen will get rid of my headache. You'll probably see some benefit, but um, probably not right away or like maybe as quickly as you maybe hope. Mm -hmm. As if you were also just to take the screen away, take some Tylenol and go to sleep, mm. right? Doing all three works towards the goal. Yeah. Um, but for some reason, when we kind of come to mental health issues, we like to come in and we like to just pick one avenue and say, let's see if this um, and almost out of we just want to prove that the other ones weren't needed. Mm-hmm. Rather than you know being willing to say like we are in a place that let's just take everything we have and and, and work on it together, yeah. and so to circle back to that first question of like what's the church's role in mental health and all of that? It's to be part of the team, mm-hmm. part of the like not the not the. But part of, mm-hmm. like, if you're dealing with it, like, we want to be part of the solution or part of your healing and helping process. Yeah. Um, not exclusive, not uh, replacing, but yeah. coming alongside all the other things that you're seeking to do. Almost three years ago now, it's like April 26, 2020, in the middle of COVID, I preached a sermon um uh ending with this it was a sermon on like the intersection of mental health and um christian faith and ended with this quote from a lady named Catherine butler i don't know have any idea who she is i don't Hmm. know where i came with this quote but uh the quote reads this and we'll we'll end this uh this episode of the podcast here fellow churchgoers hold the power to either fan the flame of condemnation or to snuff it out. Our words matter. Mm. With them, we may trample the downtrodden for the glory of our own lofty opinions, or we may choose to embrace those who are suffering with open arms and hearts, and in so doing, embody the love of Christ. We have a choice. We can fan the flame of condemnation and guilt and fear, or we can snuff that flame out. Um, we can trample over people with our lofty words in order to support our own misguided opinions. Or we can embrace those who are suffering with open arms and open uh, hearts and in so doing embody the love of Jesus Christ for them. Yeah. I think that the um, when we're honest with ourselves, then the answer is pretty clear. So, Yeah. Let's be Christ. Let's be Christ. Yeah. Thanks for uh, joining us today on the podcast, as always. Um, You can send in, text any of your questions to um, our texting texting line. We'll have it here on the screen and in the show notes. So just click on the description. It'll be there. So uh, we appreciate you guys. We'll catch you on the next one.